fake, fake, fakety fake. Hi, I'm Jody. I'm Caitlin. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News, and then talk about Eric O'Toole with my friend Caitlin. Great. How are you, Caitlin? I'm doing okay. Now, normally we do a little bit of banter here, but we have a lot to cover this week. So how do you feel if we just jump right into it? That's perfectly okay. Then that means we are going right into the Imperial Roundup. Prepare yourself. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. This is what happened on the Rebel from August 24th to August 28th. Eric O'Toole won the conservative leadership race, beating Rebel News favorite Leslin Lewis. Ezra's on the fence with Eric because they perceive him to be a red Tory, which is a conservative who tends to have liberal tendencies. But they super hated Peter McKay, and so they're kind of happy that Eric won, but not really. Ezra thinks that the CBC is racist because they are more likely to cover Kamala Harris than they are to cover Leslin Lewis. The CBC probably are racist, but not for the reasons Ezra thinks. Ezra used Lewis's identity as a gotcha to the liberals since she is a black woman running for the conservatives. Just another example of how the right wing being the worst offenders of so-called identity politics. Ezra still wants you to know that the pandemic is over. How does he explain the people currently dying? How about the over 1,000 people a day that are dying in the U.S.? He doesn't explain it. He just wants you to know that it's over because he said so. Thank God the pandemic's over. Andrew Scheer, in his final speech as conservative leader, promotes True North and the post-millennial as non-biased news sources. Ezra feels snubbed, but has Candace Malcolm of True North on to talk about it. She is more forgiving of Sheer after all he gave her a huge shout out, but Ezra still can't forgive Sheer for running over the menzoid with his campaign bus. <laughs> it's hard not to laugh while reading that. <laughs> what is this? Are you guys kidding me? Ezra won his legal battle to be led into the Alberta press gallery and has Kian and Sheila on to glow. This news isn't all that surprising given their win during the last election to be allowed into the debates, but Ezra's victim complex reaches new heights. Ezra compares this legal victory to the civil rights struggle in the United States, quoting Mark, Martin Luther King that the arc of the moral universe bends towards the justice of allowing them into the press gallery of Alberta. As Martin Luther King said, the arc of history bends towards justice. Sometimes it it does so slowly, but over time, things work out. I'm so pleased for you two and for us all. Congratulations, you guys. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> so much there. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> On August 26th, Ezra complains that he has been blacklisted by the media in Canada because of his unbiased coverage of Donald Trump. We all know this isn't true. And that his problem began in 2017 after one of his employees, Faith Goldie, went to Charlottesville and hung around literal white nationalists. However, on August 27th, he plays a CBC clip which explicitly states that his downfall was due to his involvement with Charlottesville, completely undercutting the point he made the day before. 
Ezra suggests that Trudeau is creating a genetic database to track people's race in order to staff civil service positions in the government. In reality, the database is being conceived to track visible minorities, not genetic racial categories, in order to make appointments to civil service positions more racially diverse and representative of the country as a whole. It isn't clear to me that the database involves genetics at all. I couldn't find anything. But this gives Ezra the opportunity to talk about racial math again, which we've also covered on our show before. He actually makes a social constructionist argument, though, uh, about racial categories, which was kind of interesting. But then he undermines it moments later by constantly focused on how oppressed white people are. The only reason Ezra wants to talk about this is because he sees this uh, database being constructed by the liberals as a racist affirmative action type policy. What he ignores is that our civil service does not represent the diversity of our country. This is a systemic problem, since you probably want people within your civil service that reflect the country as a whole, and not just white men who have been pushed into these positions given the seniority structure that perpetuates a racist system. But of course, Ezra sees this as an affront to the legacy of Martin Luther King. So instead of caring about the content of someone's character, as Martin Luther King Jr. told us to do, we're supposed to care now about the color of your skin. That's two Martin Luther Kings, by the way. <laughs> oh, just crazy. Ezra has climate denier and all-around shitty human being, Mark Morano on, to talk about COVID being a hoax. Right out of the gate, Morano compares the current COVID hoax to what he describes as the myth of heterosexual AIDS. And joining us now via Skype to talk about this is someone who I think was the first pandemic skeptic I ever spoke with. <laughs> I'm talking about our friend Mark Morano, the boss of ClimateDepot.com. Great to see you again, Mark. Thank you, Harry Ezra. Yeah, I, I didn't buy this thing from the beginning. I mean, obviously there was a virus, but the idea that lockdowns are necessary, I had known and saw firsthand what the CDC and the FDA even did when it comes to vaping. I actually followed your own public health in Canada. I mean, vaping, regardless of what you think it's safe or not, is clearly safer than tobacco smoke, but both Canada, the United States, heavily regulated it, used the scare of teen lung ailments uh, to hype it, even though the teens were buying illegal black market vape devices. So I knew going into this that the CDC was caught just outrageously lying about that. But not only that, I followed the work of Michael Fomento for decades, and he's the one that called out the CDC and the myth of heterosexual AIDS. HIV has a higher rate of transmission during anal sex, but that does not mean it is not transmissible at all during vaginal penetration or even oral sex. However, gay people are not the only people to enjoy anal penetrative sex. So now we can add homophobia to Mark Morano's long list of awful characteristics. Lastly, Ezra admits that Mark Morano changed Ezra's mind about COVID-19, and now Ezra thinks that COVID is a hoax. He says he believed it was worse than it was because he trusted Chinese dissidents who were trying to oversell the severity of the virus because China is obviously bad. Of course, we will see if Ezra will stop giving a platform to these Chinese dissidents, such as the Epoch Times, on future shows, but I doubt it. Worst of all, Ezra says he only wore a mask at the beginning of the pandemic because he was scared of China. But back in March, Ezra had on a legitimate expert that we were both shocked that he had on, and he had him on the show to basically praise the efficacy of mask wearing. Only for now, when it is ideologically convenient, Ezra comes out as a COVID hoaxer. And that is the week. Or at least part of the week, because the rest is god-awful. Like, ah, 
No, even more awful than that. Oh, it was it was a fucking week. So Eric O'Toole won the conservative leadership, and I want to know what your thoughts are, Caitlin. What are your thoughts on Sir Eric O'Toolio? Um, I've actually watched the conservative leadership debates. Oh yeah. Yeah, I've, why? I don't know. I have no idea. It was a slow, slow day that day. Um, was it the one, did you watch all of them or just the one where Leslie I, Lewis called in sick because of an earache? No, I didn't watch that one. I, she was there on most of them. She was really hard on about how parents need to have authority. And it was really confusing to why she kept tying it into every question that had nothing to do with parenting. Um, because she's a Christian fascist. It's just so weird, like how how she really needed to bring up the topic over and over again. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, like he's not the worst, but he also is at the same time. Yeah, I forget the other guy that was one of his opponents, uh, not Peter McKay. Uh, David what's the Sloan. other? Oh my god, just fucking awful! Like should not be in politics. Neither, none of these people should, but. Just awful. Just awful some of the things he would say. It's interesting to me because you're right about David Sloan. He, what he lacked was a sort of like PR filter for himself. Yeah. Where Leslin Lewis, I believe, holds a lot of the same shitty ideas, but she is way more smooth in her presentation. Which, yeah. And that makes, that, uh, that makes me worry about her far more than I worry about him. Well, Eric O'Toole's uh, not too different from both of them. Like, he's definitely got social conservatism. He just doesn't say it out loud. And in the first debate, one of the biggest issues was he, like, really attacked his other opponents and just came off very angry. Um, but apparently he had, like, like some people were commenting on that he already had, like, a 40-page policy document drawn up, and he just used, like bashing other his opponents instead of using all these policies that he created and i actually from the debates didn't know where what direction he was going but it was very obvious to me that he was going to win um and that's kind of why i was curious i want to see who this guy was and then all of a sudden i'm you know getting news reports that he's won and one of his first policies is that he wants to defund cbc now can you imagine that we're in the middle of a fucking pandemic and that's like one of the first policies that you want to issue is let's let's defund cbc yeah that's the most pressing issue of our time right now yeah yeah you've got a pandemic you've got riots going on in your neighboring country um and you've got marches and rallies going on for black lives matter and your first first matter that you're going to address is cbc needs to be defunded which actually just shows me that he is more of a social conservative that he actually leads on because that cbc whole bit is is tied to social social conservatism yeah I wonder if like that's just like an easy go for him on his social on the social conservative issue. I mean he he also came right out of the gates uh one of his first interviews with the CBC and he basically undercutted the Serb saying that like we shouldn't have done that in the first place and like somehow it's being used as a uh, as an incentive for people not to work and we shouldn't be doing that. 
even though we're in a global pandemic and maybe we shouldn't be encouraging people to work. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah, his, the issue of whether or not he's a social conservative is something that I think is going to come up a lot. And in fact, Ezra sort of covers it on the show, which is sort of the next thing I wanted to talk about, was one of Ezra's episodes this week was focusing on how the CBC is so biased that all they did was keep asking him about his pro-choice beliefs. And Ezra comes out saying that uh, Eric O'Toole is on the level with Jagmeet Singh, Jagmeet Singh, in terms of his uh, social policy. That's what Ezra says. And Ezra says that he's pro-choice. And Eric O'Toole, during the CBC uh, question uh, press conference, basically kept saying he was pro-choice throughout the whole thing as well. And that that got me thinking about his pro-choice views. And I I reached out to a friend of the show, Robin Schwartz, who we've had on before uh, to talk about this stuff. And she kind of said something to me that... uh, I thought was really interesting and I wanted to share it. And so I'm also, this isn't exactly her thoughts, but inspired by conversations I had with her, which is that the debate about pro-choice in this country is kind of a weird debate to be having because you almost want the default position to be pro-choice. And so there's something like, okay, with Eric uh, embracing this pro-choice label, the issue that we should be pushing in Canada right now is access. So it's like one thing to be pro-choice, but we have a lack of access to abortion in this country in many provinces. I think uh, New Brunswick in particular has a situation going on right now where uh, they're losing access to abortion. And so it's nice for him to say he's pro-choice, but what is he doing to increase access? Uh, And we need our media to focus more on that question than whether or not he is by, by whatever like borders you want to draw around pro-choice whether he is or is not pro-choice well i think these debates in general are interesting when we're talking about pro-choice in canada because we actually don't have any laws in canada that legalize abortion what we actually have is laws around giving uh women bodily autonomy and that gives doctors the right to practice this because it, it's women's choices to do with their body. And the only way to actually argue against that would be for you to say that women are not human enough <laughs> in order to have bodily autonomy. So it would it just be something that you can't reverse. So it doesn't really matter whether he believes it or not, because he can't really do much about it on a federal level. And then, I mean, you could have the provinces that could defund abortion clinics. And I think, Robin's right on the nose to talk about that because that's where they you can't get rid of it like you just can't that's the ruling that's been made that's 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 what it is um and unless you have I don't know some really really far right groups in power making decisions that women are not people then like you're you're not gonna get that overruled you're gonna have it stuck like that for forever we should have her on again to talk about those impediments but I think that's the thing. It's like rather than our media getting hooked up on whether or not Eric is going to like signal that he's pro-choice, you should be asking him what he's going to do to ensure that the conservatives aren't going to limit access to people who want abortions in this. Yeah, country. and I mean that is a little in the scope of the provinces, right? Yeah. Um, and then that kind of matters because then you have provinces like New Brunswick who basically had one abortion clinic and I think now it's shutting down 
because of the decisions that 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 um, that government has made. Yep. So yeah, it's about the access to these things. All right, so another thing that Ezra covered on his show was the Republican National Convention. Did you end up watching any of it? No. Why would I do that to myself, Jody? Well, you did. While So for the those at home, <laughs> while I'm camping, Caitlin decides to send me this clip of uh, one of the speakers who I guess she kept on like increasing in intonation about like, we're going to make it and we're going to rise up. No, the best is yet to come. <laughs> and then there was this, what was it, like a, a groundhog or some a shit? screaming gopher. That was like, <laughs> yes. So I'm sitting out in like the middle of the woods by my campfire at 11 at night. <laughs> no one around and like freaking scared the shit out of me. So thank you, Caitlin. <laughs> no problem. Now, how Ezra ends up covering the Republican National Convention is it, it becomes one of uh, a clip-style show, which he's done before. He pretty much just plays clips and then gives a bit of feedback uh, in between the clips. And so we're going to do a rundown of some of the things uh, that he covered. And you can tell the, the kind of angle that Ezra is trying to make here. So the first clip that he plays is the St. Louis couple, who were the ones who lived in a gated community and then as black lives matter protesters entered their gated community they stood outside their houses with guns including pointing the guns at protesters including having the safety off with their finger on the trigger which is not great no and in the video the two people claimed that they're being persecuted merely for defending their home they're being prosecuted merely for defending their home and uh, I, I don't think that that's the case. But again, Ezra lays it out there and doesn't respond. But then Ezra says something uh, that I think is very revealing. He says, these activists start from downtown, but they're now coming for the burbs. And it's a very good point. If you think these riots only happen downtown, well, they start downtown, but this couple lived in the burbs. They'll come for you one day. I mean, this this is not too dissimilar to something that Trump had said recently. He tweeted out something along these lines. And so you can see the kind of strategy that Trump's going to be using to scare white suburban people into voting for Trump, basically. But not only scare white suburban people about uh, blacks coming from downtown, he also plays a clip of a Cuban who cries about communism being bad, so... <laughs> Ezra said he he even got choked up over it. It was it was very sad. So he's just going over all the conservative talking points. Yep, but also like notice. So you you had this white couple from the suburbs being attacked by black people. You now have this Cuban. So you have a a, a racial minority in America talking about uh, another conservative point, and then he plays two black people. Uh, including Tim Scott, who's a, a Republican congressman. And the other black person is on to talk about how Trump was so good with football or something. <laughs> so, so I was like, okay, great. But then Ezra uses this to start talking about Candace Owens and Candace Owens' Blexit movement, which is black exit from the Democratic Party. <laughs> but 
you can see what he's doing is he's working in these things of like, look at all these black people who support Trump. See, Trump's not racist. He's not racist. How does this like mesh with the, the earlier points about the suburbs? You know? Yeah. And of course he ends with Nick Sandman, who was the uh, Covington Catholic school uh, boy who stood who was approached by the native uh, American indigenous person drumming on that drum. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. And the, the thing that was interesting about the speech now, like, of course, like I only heard it through what Ezra played, but like Nick starts talking about how he was defamed by the media. Well, then goes on to just slam into Nathan Phillips. And here's mm -hmm. the thing is like Nathan Phillips, who was the indigenous person drumming, he didn't do anything other than drum. But like Nick like has all this like motives and how he was here to like make insult me and do all these things. And it's like, now you're defaming him. <laughs> yeah. I found myself face to face with Nathan Phillips and other professional protesters looking to turn me into the latest poster child showing why Trump is bad. While the media portrayed me as an aggressor with a relentless smirk on my face, in reality, the video confirms I was standing with my hands behind my back and an awkward smile on my face that hid two thoughts. One, don't do anything that might further agitate the man banging a drum in my face. So I'll end with the RNC stuff is that Ezra then repeats, throughout the whole week of, this, uh, of Ezra's show, he kept saying that the RNC had the highest viewership. Okay. Even bigger than the DNC. And that's just completely false. The, the DNC had 10% more viewers than the RNC. Oh, good. Not, not a big point, but it's just like, it's again, one of those things where it's such an easy, easy thing to just Google. And yet he just kept saying it all week, repeating it. Yeah. Because he's a liar. He doesn't care about the truth. We're now going to get into what I thought was one of the most disgusting segments that I've ever heard on The Rebel. And it was about the, the Kenosha uh, incident. I guess what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk through the segment and then uh, I'd love to know what you think okay. about what happened in Kenosha, but then also uh, reflect on how disgusting this is with me. <laughs> I guess this is because this is what we do on this show. Ezra has on Joel Pollock. I want to begin because this gets back to the idea of the suburbs that I mentioned in the, the previous thing that Ezra had said. And Ezra calls Kenosha. So much going on. The riots in Kenosha, which is not a big city. It's not a very, it's not a traditionally urban or black city. I, I think it's, it's a pretty small town, regular kind of place, but it has Black Lives Matter style riots that have torched the place. What are your quick thoughts on that? Not a typical urban or black city. And notice how Ezra links urbanness with blackness and how in the thing he said the day before was that the downtown people are heading into the suburbs so what is he saying that the suburbs are being like taken over by black people so he's he's appealing to these racial sentiments and it's very clear he's not hiding it so that's how ezra starts but then we get into pollock's narrative pollock calls what happened to blake a confrontation with the police then he makes up some story about Blake being told by the police to drop the knife. Jacob Blake, age 29, was shot by police in a confrontation. Much was made out of the fact that he was shot in the back, which is true. 
and he was reported widely as having been unarmed. That turns out not to be true, or very likely not to be true. The eyewitness who recorded the infamous cell phone video said that police were shouting at him to drop the knife, drop the knife. You can watch the video. There's no talk of a knife, nothing about a knife. They shot him before he even got into his car. He was leaning into it. And yes, a knife was found in the car. But that doesn't, like, that doesn't give the police the right to shoot him. How would they even know? I mean, which is why Pollock has to construct something that doesn't happen in a video that all of us can watch. Yeah. He has to make it up out of thin air to give some sort of like semblance of probable cause for the police to shoot this person. But even if even if he were holding holding a knife, he probably shouldn't have been shot seven times in the back. No. So then Pollock talks about Blake's possible criminal record, saying cops knew all this when they intervened. We were also told that he was simply intervening in a domestic dispute somewhere else. Turns out that the woman who was living at the address to which the police came had actually called the police because he was not supposed to be there. Evidently, there was some history between them. And he had a warrant out for his arrest. He was charged with sexual assault, among other crimes, and the police had been looking for him for almost two months. That, on top of reports in local media that he had a prior arrest for violent behavior involving a gun. So police knew all this. And on that previous occasion, apparently, he had to be subdued with a police dog because he also resisted arrest. So this gentleman, as many other positive qualities as he may have had, had a history of violence and run-ins with the law. And police knew all that, or likely knew all that, when they tried to apprehend him. But there's 100% no evidence of any of what I just told you. This is just Pollock constructing a narrative. Yeah. But again, even if Blake is the most horrible, terrible, guilty human being on the planet, the police should not have the authority to jump the line of the judicial system and attempt an execution, which is what this was. Police yeah. shouldn't be murdering or attempting to murder guilty people either. So that's that's him justifying the the paralysis of Jacob Blake. Because thankfully, Jacob Blake is still alive, even though now he's going to be paralyzed for the rest of his life. That and let's just put this out there, too. The police had him handcuffed to uh, his hospital bed, even though he's paralyzed, because cops are just great human beings. So then Paul calls, uh, talks about Kyle Rittenhouse. And the first thing out of his mouth is to refer to Kyle Rittenhouse as a young fellow. On Tuesday, there was an actual shooting or series of shootings. A young fellow has been arrested, a young man from Illinois, 17-year-old fellow. He's just a fellow. He's like a pal, you know, that, that hangs around. He's one of us. He's a fellow. And he also says that we, we just don't know why he was in Kenosha. We don't know why. Even though there's hours of like live streams where you can listen to the words coming out of Rittenhouse's mouth about why he is in fact in Kenosha, which he says was to protect businesses. So he drove out of town from Illinois to come to Kenosha, Wisconsin to protect businesses that weren't even his own. And he brought a gun. And so Pollock is trying to frame this thing. Oh, Kyle Rittenhouse, he was such this nice guy. He was removing graffiti in the morning. He then says, oh, he was armed. And Pollock goes, well, I don't know if it was legal or not. He was in Kenosha. We're not sure why. 
but he came and was clearly very into the idea of standing up for the business owners, standing up for the town against the rioters. I caught the fact that he was shown in a Getty Images photograph, not by name, they didn't know who he was, but earlier in the day he had been photographed on the news wires removing graffiti from a public building. So he was clearly there to help out in whatever way he thought he was helping, but he brought his AR-15. I'm not sure if he owned it legally. We know it was not legal. He was 17. He was not allowed to carry that gun. Not only was he not allowed to carry that gun, he wasn't allowed to bring it across state borders. So he, he left Illinois and went into Wisconsin with a, a rifle that he then ended up using to shoot people. But notice, Blake, the black person, 100% had a, had a knife. But the well-known fact that Kyle had this gun illegally, we just don't know. We can't know. Then Pollock goes on. We don't know who started the fight, but Kyle was viciously attacked. Now, I just want to say that again. Pollock says, we don't know who started the fight, but Kyle was viciously attacked. And he got himself into a confrontation. It's not sure who started it. It's not clear who started it, but if you watch the videos, it's clear he's being attacked in both cases where he fired his weapon at someone. Uh, the first person who attacked him, uh, he shot him in the head. Then he started running. Uh, not immediately. It appears he called someone, perhaps the police, and reported that he had shot someone. And then he was chased by a mob. He was viciously attacked. And then he shot one of the attackers dead and shot the other in the arm. Now, we know now that stuff is coming out that people had a approached Kyle and Kyle approached them and was giving them demands while holding a gun. He was the belligerent. He was acting belligerently. But again, Pollock was, oh, we don't know what happened, you know, hand-waving, right? Pollock brings up that one of the people Kyle shot had a pistol. What he doesn't say is that the guy with the pistol came after the person that was shot and did not use it to shoot Kyle. And this obfuscation is coming from the same pro-Second Amendment types that want to tell you that what we need instead of gun reform is more good guys with guns. So here we have a guy who witnessed a public shooting and had his pistol drawn only to have his arm shot. He was the good guy with the gun. Yet Pollock wants you to believe that the pistol guy is the true aggressor. And this, this, is, this is, I mean, I'm already angry while listening to this. And then this is where I really, I started like screaming at my computer as I listened to this, uh, this episode. Pollock says that the protests can never be peaceful because there was a curfew and breaking a curfew is violent. Our media do not understand what peaceful protest is. Peaceful protests aren't just the absence of physical violence. Violence to property, first of all, is violence. It's not peaceful. Secondly, there's a difference between peaceful protest and lawful protest. Now, repressive societies write the laws or apply the laws such that almost no form of protest is allowed. But that's not the kind of society we live in. We live in a society where the government's ability to restrict protest is very, very limited. And so most protests, once they are permitted, will be lawful. The reason you apply for a permit is that you're not the only person with rights. There are other people with rights, rights of freedom of speech, rights of freedom of assembly. We don't want demonstrators and counter demonstrators to encounter each other suddenly. You have to coordinate a large protest with local authorities to make sure that everybody is safe and that everybody's rights are respected. Well, none of these protests are lawful. And in fact, in Wisconsin, there, there's been a curfew after 8 p.m. each of these nights. So the media call them peaceful protests, but they're 
often held in deliberate violation of the curfew. I personally don't think breaking a curfew is violent. Do you think breaking a curfew is violent, Kayla? No. <laughs> he then goes on to cite, again, Martin Luther King saying that the sit-ins that happened in the South during the Civil Rights Movement were not violent. The Civil Rights Movement didn't work that way. When Martin Luther King led people in the streets or led people at lunch counter demonstrations and sit-ins and that sort of thing, the theme was nonviolence. And that meant that you could not do anything destructive. And that was the power of the protest, that when people were arrested or when they were beaten by police or attacked by police dogs or sprayed with water hoses, it was clear the violence was being done to them for the simple uh, fact that they were expressing themselves, they were exercising their rights. Like, what, what does Joe Pollock think that the Jim Crow laws were? Like, just imaginary things, and that when people were doing sit-ins, they weren't actually violating anything? Like, why do you think these people were attacked by police? And they were done so with the justification that they were breaking the law. Why do you think Martin Luther King wrote the, the letters from a Birmingham jail? They were arrested for breaking Jim Crow laws. And the reason why they were breaking Jim Crow laws is because they thought that these laws were unjust. Yeah. Yet he thinks that the violence against them was wrong, but breaking a curfew is violence, and therefore you deserve to shoot and kill people. And of course, they then go on to talk about Gandhi and how wonderful Gandhi uh -huh. is. And, and notice how all these right-wing fucks are coming out praising Gandhi and MLK, but also want to carpet bomb China in the Middle East. Or they want troops to violently suppress people in the streets. They want true, like police officers to round up protesters, throw them into unmarked vans. They want them to be beaten, shot with tear gas. But God forbid... God forbid you break a curfew. Then you're doing violence against us. And then and then Gandhi is the hero. You should look at you look to Gandhi, leftists. You should just be complacent and passive and let us tear gas you. This is why I think we need to push back on this peaceful protest bullshit. I don't think it's helping anything. I think it's used as a tool by the right wing and the liberals to suppress actual activism. Yeah. Because here's the thing, I don't I will honestly go as far to say that I personally don't even think that burning down buildings, especially police precincts of these people who are violently shooting people in the back seven times, I don't think that's violent either. I don't think property damage is violence. Shooting someone in the back seven times is violence. The thing about Kyle Rittenhouse that kind of saddens me is, I mean, he's a 17-year-old boy. Yeah. He had a family that drove him there. He didn't drive himself. He had a mom that came and drove him across state borders. Yeah. And he's been raised in a culture that's so pro-gun, so toxic masculine, right? That to him in his head, he thinks he's probably a fucking hero, what he did. Yeah. And I'm not saying that that justifies his behavior. It's still fucking disgusting and just awful. And he should, you know, definitely be tried for his behavior. But it's kind of a reflection of how toxic the American culture is. So just North American in general, that you have a 17 year old who feels like they need to go across state borders and shoot people and think that that's justified and okay. Yeah. Or even the fact that they think that that's their duty and their place in life, like to kill people. That's just awful. The president is coming out praising this kid. Yeah. I feel like I have psychic damage just from watching all the shooting things but it's like i feel like i have to watch these videos myself because like i don't know what the, the narratives are like even with the thing that happened in uh portland when the pro-trump supporter the the patriot prayer member was shot by someone 
Yeah. And all we heard for days was how this leftist came out and killed this guy in cold blood. A video yeah. came out days later, or it was like a day later, that was like closer. And what you can hear is the two Patriot prayer members. One of them turns to his buddy and he says, we got another one over here. Pull it out. Oh, oh, yeah. hey, we got Then you hear a spray, which sounds, it sounds like a mace, and that's when the gun goes off. I don't want anyone to get shot or killed, but if you want to talk about self-defense, that to me is a better case for self-defense. Yeah. That guy was literally, like, how do you know if that's a gun? These people came from out of town to come here and wreck shit. In fact, the one guy, he was caught on uh, audio several days before his friend died. I'm ready to start killing these motherfuckers, but really... The country's not ready for that yet. So the next best, the best thing, pranks. And then you have, you have like Joe Biden coming out. And this again, is the peaceful protest narrative that's really driving me insane. Is Joe Biden comes out saying, I'm against violence, whether it's left-wing violence or it's right-wing violence. Where, where's the left-wing violence? I really hate when people start using Gandhi because I don't think they really know the legacy of Gandhi and what he did. And I also don't think they like realize that like Gandhi wasn't the only one taking those actions. There was more radical groups that led to the successes that he he had. It's the same with the civil rights movement. Civil rights movement, yeah. You have like Malcolm X, who was ten times more radical than Black <laughs> what Black Panthers. Oh my gosh! Yes, we just had what Fred Hampton's birthday was just just passed like a few days ago. Actually, just thinking about that. The liberals and the right wing want you to think that the only way to get shit done is to do so peacefully. And the only two examples they have are Gandhi and MLK. And if you actually look at these people, like you isolate them, they're not great people. You mean character-wise? Oh, yeah. Both of them are fucking awful. In various ways. Yeah. And Gandhi was a fucking racist. Yeah. Like big time. He wanted specific like segregation of really dark skinned Indians and black people. He promoted that. He liked that idea. He was also extremely sexist and fooled around with like young girls. But he was a peaceful protester. So he's he's the greatest being ever. But like my point is all these people as well. Like Biden literally tweeted that violence is never acceptable. Yet this this fucker voted for the Iraq war, killing a million people. Like if yeah. violence if violence just never works, why did you vote for a war? It's it's literally is these people are all all they want you to do is be happy, go to McDonald's, sit on your couch, watch a good TV show, and then just zone out. That's what they want. Yeah. And I say fuck them <laughs> it's time that we get agitated and start freaking out yeah any last thoughts before we move on from this really depressing story i mean i think you didn't really mention this but like even when they shot jacob blake it was like in front of his three kids yeah thinking of like the trauma of the kids watching all that yeah but they don't care that's like that's the thing is police don't care. 
And if if any of these, like this whole like the, there can be good police. Where no, I like beat that out of you in your training, so I have no idea what you're saying. No. Yeah, but that's the thing. It's like if I were a police officer, like that whole police department should just fucking resign because their police officers don't know how to handle their weapons. Just unloading a clip into the back of someone like that. Yeah, and they're not doing it. And they're, none of them are coming out because they know if they come out and speak and say what our colleague did was wrong, they'd be fired. So to end the show, I just wanted to raise awareness about a case in PEI. There's an individual named... Uh, I don't know how to pronounce this. So I'm just going to say it and probably butcher it, but Javin Mizero Sinjira. He is an international student who is currently being held in prison as one of the only people in Canada who's been arrested for COVID-19. Javin was in contact with people who were COVID-19 positive. He was asked to quarantine with his uh, friend, but they called the police to a, to a mental health concern. Javin was then taken to a place where migrant workers were being quarantined but was then subsequently arrested after stepping outside. Javin had mentioned his struggles with mental health when the police arrived, but the PEI police did not have a French interpreter with them. Uh, Javin uh, speaks French. They then put Javin in solitary confinement while they were suffering uh, a mental health crisis, which is something that you probably shouldn't do. He has been in jail since July 17th. Ezra, who makes it a continuous point to highlight government overreach in policing COVID-19, has not mentioned Javin's case at all on his show, and you can probably guess why. Uh, it's the color of his skin. So let's try to get some media attention on this, because again, it's one of those things that the media isn't covering. We have someone who was suffering a mental health issue, they're black, and they're being held a prisoner uh, for it. So, so call your MPs, and... Uh, Maybe say a word or two on social media with uh, the hashtag free Javan or Javan, free Javan, J-A-V-A-N. If you enjoy what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash Imperial News. If you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at Imperial News with a Z. We have a private Facebook group called Imperial News. We also have a Discord set up. You can find the link on our Twitter. Lastly, you can email us any questions at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at striadam.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening. And uh, Joel Pollock is a racist piece of shit. Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields?